delays, disorders, and differences. What does it all mean when we're talking about our students with IEPs inside of the school system? That's exactly what we're going to talk about today inside of the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. I brought with me Carrie, and I'm so excited to dive deep into some, you know, hot topics, some conversations that need to be had. So Carrie, thank you for being here today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm super excited to have this conversation today. Yeah. So tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table? Well, so I have been a pediatric speech language pathologist. I don't know. I think I'm in year 26 now. And I have a 17-year-old autistic son who has had an IEP uh, since the first day he went to school. So it has just been a part of my professional life and a part of my personal life as well. All right. So you have all these different perspectives at the IEP table. What I love about your profession also is it's, yes, you have the parent perspective. Yes, you have the SLP perspective, but you also, because you're an SLP that can move around, you get the idea of like what's happening in all different classrooms and all different just environments. And especially when a child is struggling. And so you use terms like delay disorders and differences, neurodiversity and all that. So let's talk about what's kind of currently going on in our school system. And and how does that all fit in? So, yeah, I think this idea, you know, there's this, this kind of social movement called the neurodiversity movement, if you will. And it is just recognizing. So since I'm a parent of an autistic child, he is considered neurodivergent. Kids with ADHD are considered neurodivergent, right? So there we just understand that. Um, uh, we don't all have the same, uh, our nervous systems all don't work exactly the same. So we have some children um, who in their, you know, early development, in their, you know, early academic careers, if you will, they maybe have delays, meaning that they're going to catch up to their peers when, you know, properly stimulated, when given enough time, when given access, you know, to the appropriate curriculum. So kids with delays catch up on their own. Kids with a disorder, so I'm a speech language pathologist, so if they have a speech sound disorder, okay, that means they're not going to catch up on their own. That means you could put them in the most stimulating classroom on earth, and they're not going to catch up on their own because they have a disorder. So with a speech sound disorder, a language disorder, we do speech language therapy, right, in the school system. We pull them out, you know, where we do push-in therapy, and we work in that, you know, on very specific goals. But then we have um, kids who simply have differences. And when I talk about differences, what we're we're doing is recognizing now that um, some neurodivergent, well, all neurodivergent kids, that they have differences in how they learn. They have differences in how they communicate. They have differences in how they process sensory input. They have differences in how they uh, engage and interact with others. And so, and as young kids, they have differences in how they learn through play, if you will, in how they play. And so from my perspective as an SLP, as a, a professional speaker, as, um, as someone who specializes in autism, as a parent of an autistic uh, a child, I have just started to um, really recognize that when a student learns differently, um, it's not our job to fix, right, to um, try to make them adhere to normal standards. Because we talk about, oh, two standard deviations below the norm, right? We use that term. (laughs) Well, what is normal? I mean, this is my whole thing is, you know, and I can get on a soapbox and I probably will. So I apologize to your listeners, but you know, what do we mean by normal? How do you talk about human beings being normal? Cause what's the opposite of normal abnormal? You know I mean? What are we, what are we using that word for? So I think it's this idea in recognizing that when a student, a neurodivergent student is um, struggling with 
social learning. So we talk about kids, um, autistic children as having social learning challenges. I promise you kids with ADHD have social learning challenges. So when we talk about that, um, I just think it's important for us um, as parents, as therapists, as teachers, as administrators, that we recognize as we sit around the IEP table, that when children learn differently, um, our job is to figure out how to create a learning environment that fits their individualized needs, that we identify, you know, how to support them rather than saying we need to fix them. Oh, we need to fix that. You know, we need to, um, uh, you know, so anyways, it's more about recognizing that different is neither good nor bad, different just is. And that's really what the neurodiversity movement is about, is, is acceptance, is removing the stigma. Because I'm going to argue that when someone says autism, um, most people have a pretty negative opinion of what that means for a student. Oh, that means it's going to be a challenging student. Oh, we're going to have behaviors. Oh, right. There are these ideas that come up when somebody says autism and that's the stigma associated with that. And so, yeah, that's kind of where, where um, I guess I, I go, you know, as a mom, as an SLP, as a professional. So, so I've got a question for you. So I'm all about, um, customizing a plan, of course, right? We got IEPs, you know, the I and IEPs. Right, right. And, and we have, you know, I hear what you're saying of like, we have to help the child who's learning differently um, understand how they learn. We have to understand how they learn mm -hmm. and how they're going to get that. Now, I know we just had a lot of parents go, yes, that's what I'm trying for. And then we had a lot of <laughs> teachers that went, no way I can make that happen. Like that mm -hmm. is too much. It is too this, it is too that. You know, there does have to be somewhat of a balance of like, okay, the classroom obviously has to get from point A to point B, whatever that is, whatever project they're doing, whatever's going on, they have to get it from point A to point B kind of thing. So how do we work on supporting a child in that environment with not having our first instinct of, well, this is going to set them off. This is going to be behavior. So let's remove them from this um, right. and taking them away. Cause that's, that's a lot of times that's our, well, they can't handle that. So they mm -hmm. remove them from that situation. Um, but how do we find that balance then of, you know, individualizing it to the point of like, we don't have uh, the time or the manpower. I mean, this is just reality to do that in depth for every activity throughout sure, the day. Sure. So what are some of your strategies that you bring in with all of your experience where you're just like, no, this is possible. Let me show you how to, how to do this. Okay, so I'll give you a, a couple examples. So um, many, if not all, but I, I will just say many autistic students uh, are going to really benefit from visual supports. Okay, so what we tend to do is talk at students, talk, blah, 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 do this, don't do this, give multi-step directions. First, I want you to, then I want you to, you know, so we give, we do a lot of talking. And um, my son was the one who informed me many years ago um, that I say too many words. And so it really took me back because I was like, but I was trained as an SLP to model language and to, you know, you know, do all this stuff. So for a lot of our neurodivergent learners, giving visuals, checklists, um, you know, visual reminders of, you know, maybe, um, you know, visual schedules, things that are individualized to them, even breaking down, um, okay, I need you to do this report or do this, um, you know, whatever project is, but do you have it visually broken down so that it's step one, step two, step three, step four, step five? because that's going to be a lot easier than the student turning in a half completed thing where they missed four of the steps. And you said, but I told you that you're supposed to do, does that make sense? Instead of 
telling, stop telling and start teaching the way they learn, which is visual. Okay. So that would be one, one idea. Another thing I can tell you is like when my son has been um, in school, um, the, the activity, the learning activity has been related to, let's say, reading a book, doing some kind of a book report, you know, something related to, to literacy. Um, my son's special interest is animals. And so um, people might say he also really likes, for example, the Olympics. Um, he had a period where he really liked bowling. I'm not saying he wanted to do these things. I'm saying he wanted to learn about them. He was very interested in those topics. So um, my son also prefers uh, nonfiction. He really has never been interested in fiction. Well, one of the assignments was pick a fiction book and fill out, you know, this book report, this. So in meeting his needs, meeting him where he's at, recognizing his, his, um, a different way of learning. Um, what I asked the teacher is, okay, it needs to be fiction, but if you help him pick a fiction book that is, or if we can pick a fiction book that is about animals, I promise you. So, you know, those one books, the Treehouse, magic Treehouse books. So instead of just picking a random book about whatever, a mouse, or whatever it is, we picked one about the tiger. So the first nonfiction book my son ever read was the one about the saber-toothed tiger. And even though it was fiction, he was interested in it because it, it related to his, his, um, his special interests. So knowing what gives every student, especially, and I'm not, I know every student, I mean, I'm kind of thinking more like in that special ed world where, you know, you have fewer students. I understand if this is a student in the regular classroom, it may be harder to make all those accommodations, but just understanding that we make those accommodations and modifications applications, especially for uh, autistic students, really looking at their special interests. What gives them their brain tingles? What is it that they are craving to learn more about? And if we can uh, somehow meet them there. The other example I'll give you, and then I'll let you talk. But the other example I'll give you is when I was in my son's IEP meeting, he was in fifth grade and the, um, the IEP team could not be there all at the same time because, you know, there's other meetings. And I mean, you know how it is. It's, it's sometimes crazy. So the regular ed science teacher. The only class my son was in regular ed at that time with his pair was science because he really likes nonfiction. He likes facts. You know, he likes, so science made sense for him to go into the, he was really motivated by it. So this regular ed science teacher comes into the IEP meeting for a few minutes and says, I just want you to know, Aaron's a joy to have in class. You know, we, we appreciate everything. You know, she was really, you know, positive. And, and she said, he is really struggling with the science vocabulary, however. And so we're on water. They were doing, so she's like condensation, evaporation. I mean, he's just really struggling with those terms. Okay, thanks for the info. She leaves. The SLP comes in to give her spiel. Says, here's how Aaron's doing on his goals. Oh, we have this vocabulary goal. He's at whatever percent accuracy. I said, oh, great. You have a vocabulary goal. He said, are you working on science vocabulary? Because a science teacher was just in here. And she looked at me like I had a horn growing out of my head and said, oh, I would have no idea what he's working on in science. There's no way we can incorporate the curriculum into our speech therapy goals. And I'm just going to tell you right then and there, I struggle with that because what is more educationally relevant than the curriculum? If we can't identify what they're working on in class, um, I struggle with why you're pulling my son out of the classroom then to go do speech therapy if you're just going to work on random goals that have nothing to do with the curriculum. So those are some thoughts that I have uh, on that topic. <laughs> I love that so much. And I want to add into that when we when we talk about curriculum. So I'm all the time talking about real world IEP goals. Like yes. it's not going to benefit the child long term. Like it probably doesn't need to be in the IEP. So I've seen what you're talking about done for a child that is not interested in science, is not working on curriculum in science that's compared mm -hmm. to their same age peers. And that's okay. That's all right. Um, you know, I have a brother with Down syndrome um, oh. who is significantly below grade level in, you know, in all areas kind of thing. 
science condensation, those kind of things, he's not interested in it, A, and B, he's not even close to that. So if we had a vocabulary goal or he had a speech goal where they were working on condensation, we'd be like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. We would take that out, like, stop it. We need vocabulary, like greater than, less than, you know, mm -hmm, kind of things, because mm -hmm, we, mm -hmm. we're going to be working on different types of things. So I want everybody to hear that, because a lot of times I'm flipping the conversation in the, almost like in the other direction where I'm oh, like, mm -hmm. take that out away from the standard curriculum. But I love that you gave the example of there are specific times when it's extremely appropriate to bring in the curriculum to assist in them accessing their education and getting mm -hmm. that support. And that speech is not just for isolated right. skills, that it should be a combination as a team. I love it. Yeah. The other thing I would do, like, let's say I'm working in an early childhood classroom, you know, where they're, they're younger kids or maybe even kindergarten, first grade, where I would actually go to the teacher and say, what books are you reading in circle time this week? Because then what I can do is if we have speech goals or if we have language goals, why would I use, you can tell I'm a, a believer in literacy based, uh, you know, learning. So, I mean, I am all about children's books um, in, in teaching and supporting, uh, you know, uh, speech language uh, development. So what, rather than me picking some of my random books, I would actually go to the teacher and say, what's on your agenda for this week? What have we, you know, what books are you reading? What's your theme? You know, in preschool, oftentimes, you know, there's that theme. So I am going to try, it's not just, I, you know, I think it's this, this two way where I wish, you know, that, that as a therapist, that teachers and therapists, that we were more connected, that we were, you know, working on the same things instead of speech working on their thing and the teacher in the classroom working on their thing. I will just tell you that one of my favorite things in the world are these little sticky notes. And if I, I believe in target word therapy as a speech therapist. So if we're working on, you know, um, helping a child with S blends or, you know, in our tick therapy, or maybe they leave off the final sounds in words, they call a bow to bow and a dog, a dog, you know, if I'm working on that, I will pull five target words from a story or from an activity that I know they're going to be doing in the class. And I will write them on a sticky note, you know, Sam's target words for this week. And I'll write them out for the teacher and I'll underline which sound we're, we're focusing on. And then I just give that as a sticky note. To, I know they're busy. They don't have time to have a conversation with me about every kid, but I'm a big fan of sticky notes and just saying, just so you know, these are our five tar target words for today, um, for this week. If you can help Sam, you know, uh, you know, and maybe I've given her a couple of the, the cues or the strategies. So that way he's getting multiple repetitions. He's working on general outside of the speech therapy room. That's to me how teachers and therapists can partner together. And then obviously at home, I'm talking to parents, you know, sending it the same thing home. These are our five target words. And the families I work with on the refrigerator or on the pantry, they have a list of what their child's five, you know, target words are if we're working on speech therapy or whatever. So um, I really believe in more a focused approach where everybody involved, all the adults involved can be there to support the child. So that's Absolutely. Just, well, we talk about that a, a lot inside of our master IP coach mentorship of that. We don't have to have 15 goals and make a tiny bit of progress on 10 out of the 15. I'd right. rather have five really good goals that everybody is all in on. Yes, that means, yeah. you know, that's, that's every therapist is all in on it. You know, every teacher all in, and that allows even our, our other teachers will say, you know, the art teacher, the PE teacher, if they know like, okay, this child is targeting this and it's not, you know, 15 goals that they have to remember that child's going to go further faster because they have all people cheering for them in the same direction. Right. Right. Instead of being pulled in multiple directions, let me give an example. So because I'm a speech language pathologist, I, I always kind of 
jokingly, but not so much jokingly say, you know, we want to treat the whole child. So I don't just care about the hole in the head, the mouth. I care about the whole W H O L E the whole child. So when I was consulting in a classroom last week, um, this student really would have was, was, I thought going to benefit from having a visual schedule. There's a whiteboard in the classroom that doesn't really get used like an old fashioned, like a smart board, you know, like a literal whiteboard. And so what I did is I just wrote down, um, what the tasks were going to be that we were going to complete in this, in this pretty structured learning environment. And the, he has some vision issues and he definitely has some fine motor issues. And so I had talked with the OT, I had talked with the vision therapist and they had both said, if you can do more on a vertical surface, it's easier for him to attend visually. He has some left neglect. So anyway, so I'm getting input right from, from everybody who's on his team and he doesn't really write. Um, it's just really hard for him. And so what he was motivated by was after he did an activity was crossing off with the, the marker on the whiteboard. So it got him on a visual surface. He was going left to right, which is important for reading and writing, right? And he was independent. I didn't have to help him. I didn't, and he had never written on a whiteboard before. And so that's kind of what I'm always looking at is how can we meet him where he's at, increase his independence, giving, give him a competent role in his education, right? I mean, what can he do successfully that doesn't require so much assistance? And so I just am a big believer in meeting kids where they're at and helping them to have success um, you know, moments throughout their day. Yeah. And I, I want everybody to truly understand that difference between delays, disorders, and differences, because I think we use them interchangeably a lot inside of our, our, just kind of our conversation, our jargon. And, you know, it's not, it's not the same thing and they can be approached differently and it changes the lens that we're looking through. So, um, I'm going to make sure everybody has all the links, all the things to come find you. Um, what social media platform are you most active on? Instagram is where I'm most active. Okay. Just cause I, I love uh, Instagram too, right? Always dropping some tips and having some, some lives on there and some interaction stuff. So go find Carrie on Instagram for sure. And of course, if you are listening to this on Apple podcasts, please leave a five-star review and let everybody know that you love this episode with Carrie. It does help more therapists, parents, teachers, admins find this information, which is much needed inside of our special education community. So I'm, I'm telling those reviews mean so much. So Carrie, let's, let's Let's end really quick on, um, let's give a positive note to all of our burnt out, exhausted, overloaded, decision fatigued, SLPs, teachers, and such, those that are inside of the school system, but you're a parent also. So we're going to include the parents in that too. What, what's your word of advice as we start to hit this last half of the school year? Uh, I think um, that it's really, uh, oh gosh, too many. One, one thing, um, really focus on authentic interactions. I, I really think that sometimes we focus so much on, we have to get things done, right? We have this curriculum, we have to get things done. But in the moment, I think if we can just really focus on building authentic interactions, I always say that our students will do more when they feel respected, when they feel heard, when they have a connection with you. So we're going to ask you to do hard things. As an SLP, I ask the kids I work with to do hard things. They're going to be more willing to to do hard things when I um, have authentic interactions with them. Oh, I love that word authentic. Um, I, that is perfect. I love it. All right, everybody go. How are you going to be authentic today in your role at the IEP table? Carrie, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>